0: Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the Old Testament, we're working through it a chapter at a time. It's a rather long study. It takes about 20 years. We are uh, wow, a year and a half in, a year and three quarters in. We did start with the New Testament, though. That was five years. I guess the Old Testament only takes 15 years. The whole thing was 20. So we knocked out five years in the New Testament. We already did that. Now we're working through the Old Testament. Um, I like working through the Bible this way. I think it's great to keep things in context. And if you're able to come um, for chunks of it, I think it's helpful to work our way through uh, the books to to look for things, you know, that uh, that we're going to see. And by starting with the New Testament, we can see some of these Old Testament things that are, oh, well, that's why we do that. Or, oh, that's why that happened. Or, oh, that's why Jesus said that. Or, oh, there you go. So um, they should start sort of, you know, popping up to you from time to time as we work through them together. And in Exodus, um, you know, the, the big things that I wanted to make sure we talked about in Exodus obviously were the, the, uh, the Passover uh, and what that was all about, you know, as a, as a culmination of the plagues, of the ten plagues, and we spent time studying that. The parting of the Red Sea was a big deal and what that was all about and God moving on behalf of His people that way. And uh, very soon we're going to start talking about the law and the tabernacle so those will be coming up interestingly the women's Bible study that's coming up is on the tabernacle so it kind of fits pretty well that'll start in October and uh, we'll be heading in that direction here in Exodus so um, so we're in this interesting period right now in Exodus the people um, of uh, uh, Israel have been set free so all the plagues have happened and all that stuff and and. Uh, They've been set free, and they're, they're starting this new whole life as the nation of Israel. Two and a half million approximately strong. Remember, we, we, you know in Genesis, we saw them go in to Egypt as a family of 70, and they've come out 400 years later as a nation of two million plus. And we, we watched God deliver them out of the bondage and captivity and slavery <laughs> they were in to Egypt and we've seen God demonstrate that he is in fact the big capital G God Um, and he's uh, proven that not only to his people but also to the Egyptians um, as he's totally sort of run over their their false little G gods and everything that they stood for as the plagues demonstrated. Remember a lot of those plagues were like a direct assault against the little G God that the people of Egypt or one of them they were worshiping. They had about eighty of those false gods in Egypt, at that point in time, and so um, God has proved Himself to be God to the people, and now they they've uh, so they're they're in a new a whole new dynamic of life. Everything has changed, and God has to form them into a community, community of His people, and what that looks like. And He's already started the process by um, giving them some things to do to see their response, and and He hasn't yet. Um, given them the law, uh, which is coming soon. But uh, he's, he's told them some things, and he's trying to prove to them that they can trust him. He's giving them a lot of grace and mercy at this point in time because they are um, a difficult group to deal with. Um, and we've already seen uh, since the time that they've been set free, they've already been, um, they've complained horrifically once because they were thirsty, and God provided for their thirst. Then they complained about being hungry, and, uh, and God supernaturally provided for their food. And remember, he did that um, with the quail at night, but also with the manna uh, during the day. And this manna will be provided for them throughout their time on this wilderness journey, which is going to be quite some time. Um, but he's, you know, it's so important that we made sure we caught that. He, he's proving and demonstrating to them that he will provide their daily bread. And if you ever wonder why we pray the way that we pray, it's, it's got that connection in there. Give us today our daily bread. It's all kicking back to the, the, the idea that God is faithful and you can trust Him. And He's demonstrated it time after time after time. And He was demonstrating it to His people. But with the giving of the manna, He also gave them instruction. And He said, this is how you're going to do this. You're going you're to go out each day and you're going to get just enough for that day. And then you can do with it what you want. But make sure you eat it all that day because it won't last till the next day. And you're going to do that for five days. On on the sixth day, you need to get twice as much. Um, and it will keep. It's the only time it will keep. It will keep for two days because on that seventh day, I don't want you to do anything. And And so it's his first sort of way of telling them this is how you're going to do it. This is what I want you to do. This is this is what I'm telling you. These are my instructions. I want you to follow my instructions because that's where you're going to find life. And we saw sort of a mixed result. Some of them did it. Some of them didn't do it. Some of them didn't refuse to listen. Some tried to gather more. That didn't work out. Some went out there on the seventh day when he told them not to and there wasn't any there. You see the story and he's saying, I, I told you how to do this. He's trying to teach them how to, to hear and, and obey and follow and that's how they find life. And so we've we watched that whole process. And then, because they had failed so miserably at the first thirsty test, last chapter there was another thirsty test that popped up. They went to an oasis and there was no water and they complained. And, and, uh, um, and, and you know, they, they sort of tested him once again. And, and, and I said that they called that place complaining and testing. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of those places on the roadmap of our own lives where that's sort of been our response but he's trying to work them out of it so um, now we're moving into Exodus chapter 18 which is an interesting chapter Uh, there's uh, the first half of chapter 18 is a reunion between Moses and uh, his father-in-law Jethro and also Moses wife Zipporah and uh, two of his sons They're, they're getting back together Uh, Here in the beginning half of Exodus 18. And the second half of Exodus 18 is um, Jethro's advice to Moses on how to handle um, things that were being tossed at him with two million people to try and deal with and process. And uh, he gives Moses some pretty good advice. Uh, and, And well within his bounds. Some people think Moses or Jethro was sort of meddling in uh, Moses' business that God would have told him how to straighten it out. But he wasn't telling Moses. It's not like he got in Moses and told him what the law looked like or what the tabernacle was to look like. He just gave Moses some very practical experience or uh, wisdom on how to deal with a very difficult situation. And it's actually very good wisdom. And uh, I think it was uh, God ordained in the process. So... Um, so we're going to see those things as we read. Now, we've already met Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, uh, in, in Exodus 2. But, but we're going to see him again. And there's a couple of points that come up just so you, because you wonder. Because first off, Jethro has heard about this whole process. Remember, it's fairly new, they're getting out of um, Egypt. And we also don't know when Zipporah and his two sons um, somehow went home. And so we're not sure where that was. So the, the two trains of thought on that, that um, remember there was a little sticky circumstance with the whole circumcision of the second son and everything, but that seems to be all better now um, that we read about. Either before the uh, those last few plagues that came on Egypt, Moses cut his family out of there and told them to go back home. Is one train of thought. But... Uh, probably not likely because it's, it's uh, he, Moses knew what, that God was going to deliver them. I'm pretty confident he would have kept his family there so they could see it, be a part of it. Um, so uh, most likely at some point in time after the actual Exodus when they had crossed the Red Sea and were safe and they were on this side, um, Moses said to his wife and his sons, go and tell Jethro what's happened and then come back and find us and we'll... We need to get better again. And so I would say that that's probably what happened because it would have been very hard to take the whole group over there um, to find Jethro and so to send his wife and the two sons and maybe a small party, whatever. Off they go. They go and tell him what's happened and Jethro in response goes, great, I want to go talk to Moses and share with him in that whole celebration. So um, pretty much that's probably where we're at at this point in time. And uh, we're going to watch this encounter and then we're going to get Jethro's advice on how Moses needs to handle this many people. So I'm going to read from there, Exodus 18, uh, 27 verses, and um, I'm going to read out of the NIV, the 1984 version. (laughs) What comes up overhead might be the newer version, which I stubbornly refuse to adapt. And uh, whatever translation you like, I suggest you read that one. Yeah, there you go. Okay, beginning in verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershon, for Moses said, I become an alien in a foreign land, and the other was named Eliezer. For he said, My father's God was my helper, and he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other, and they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties there to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for all the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all the people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simpler ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Interesting sort of process. But really, those are the the two main themes. So we we won't have to talk a long time about this. So um, what we see there in the beginning, as I said, you know, uh, at some point, Moses has sent his wife and kids to go tell Jethro what's happened. I think that's what happened. After all the victories and everything, they're they're sort of going to be in this little area that they're at now for a little bit of time. Um, These mountains... um, Horeb, um, right there in this, this part of the, you know, the Sinai desert. and This is um, where, uh, it's, it's the area pretty much where God first spoke to Moses while he was tending sheep, um, Jethro's sheep. So, it's a big deal to be right there in that area. That's kind of where God has them right at the moment, and they're going to be there for a little while. And, uh, and so my, my thinking is that Moses sent his wife, and go tell your dad what's happened, and take the boys with you, and see what's going on, and Jethro receives them, and here's the good news, and he comes, he wants to hang out with Jethro as well. So when he gets there, um, they go into the tent. It tells us where the two talked, Moses' tent. Um, tents would have been, you know, the, the homes of shepherds back then. Of course, all the people would have been staying in, in, uh, in tents uh, on this this march now as they were moving around, and they would take their tents wherever they went. The tents um, would resemble, you know, similar. They'd look similar to tents we have today, although they would be... Uh, Made um, um, woven from goat or camel hair, so we've got a weaver here. You'd make a fine tent with goat and camel hair, and, and um, actually interesting with the, they've you know those fabrics. Um, would breathe in the warm weather, but in stormy weather they would actually contract to offer great protection for the people in there. The floors, if you can imagine them, would have been covered covered with like animal skin kind of rugs just so you get a picture of what's happening. So uh, this would be the environment that they were in and um, they would have been big enough that they would have been divided with curtains into sort of rooms and families would have lived in there. And so, so that's kind of the setting that, that Moses and Jethro enter into. In tune, Moses tells him all the things that God had done. And uh, um, is sort of using the opportunity to, to tell him about Big G God. Compared to all the other little G gods that are all over the place that, you know, are the false gods. And um, it was sort of a great opportunity to share with his father-in-law all about who God is and uh, what that's all about. And I always think it's um, sometimes we need to be looking for opportunities with our own families to uh, find good ways to share the Lord with them. It's not always easy depending on your family. And uh, so sometimes we need to look for those right opportunities. This was a great opportunity to talk about the Lord uh, with all that had just happened. So, and, and Jethro was obviously very receptive because he was just seeing everything was going on. So, um, so, you know, our lives as believers have an impact on, on uh, family that might not be believers yet. But we need to live it well before them. So that when opportunities arise, we get a chance to talk to them. I think we've had that discussion with you. I told you when I, when I, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian environment, so uh, we never went to church. And when I came to know Jesus, I was pretty excited about the whole thing. And uh, so the very first Christmas, I uh, I got um, the family that was going to be together down here. They were all come kind of step brothers and a, a step brother and two stepsisters and and. Uh, uh, my dad was there, and and um, his wife, and it was Christmas, and Alice and I went, and so I bought them all Bibles for Christmas. <laughs> Every one of them had it, and it was all gift wrapped real nice. I was really excited, and uh, after the first person opened it, nobody else really wanted to. <laughs> <You> know. no. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was it was very new to them, and I, I think they probably had the idea it wasn't going to stick. So um, I really had to live f- for a while as a believer and then got opportunities with big chunks of my family over time to start telling about Jesus with, with some positive results. But um, so it's like right time, right opportunities, those kind of things. We need to be looking for this. This would have been a great time for, for that kind of sharing to happen. So Christmas Bibles, not so much. Huh? It wasn't. (laughs) But they didn't think so. (laughs) It was like, never mind. (laughs) I'll never forget that. (laughs) Very first Halloween after I got saved, I gave all the kids that came up New Testaments instead of uh, candy. And we have never had a trick-or-treater since. I'm always ready. I'm like I, I'm not. I got candy now. I promise. <laughs> I passed on to the generations. They don't come. They they mark the house. Don't go there. His entire existence, he's never even. It was just I was so excited. This is better. It is better, but you gotta you gotta. <laughs> maybe if I'd given it with some candy. <laughs> but see, I was excited, right? Still excited. But <laughs> I'm looking for ways to have more impact now. <laughs> have I told you this year? We're, you know, we do that fall festival every year. So, and we, and we, we, we turn this place into this big carnival atmosphere. And we, I mean, we call it fall festival. And we, and, and we give away so much candy. But the church, we invested in these bounce houses this year. I, we bought bounce. New, so now we have three. And... Uh, the one is a 50-foot sport course, obstacle course. It's the coolest thing. These kids, when they walk in, are gonna to go nuts. And uh, I'm so excited about that. You know, I want them to think about, well, that's it, I wanna go to that chair. I wanna go back, I wanna go back. What do we, what do they got? Well, let's go. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so I'm very excited. So I'm still excited, just changing, changing the method. The message is perfect, it's the method. Um, so this reunion then turns into this big celebration, and it's a, it's, it revolves around a meal. You've heard me talk about this a lot. Meals, that's why we do, people always ask me, why the meals? Meals are central to this whole deal. They were central with Jesus' ministry. They were, whenever something was going on and people wanted to celebrate, it was always around a meal. Um, and so it happens again. Jo, uh, Jethro brings a big offering, and they, they sit around, and they offer it to God, and then they, they eat some of that whole deal in the process, and they, it's a party. They celebrate the goodness of God with a meal and a fellowship dinner. So so that's kind of the big thing. The first part of the family is very cool. It's nice to finally get to a chapter where you get a little break without a whole lot of complaining, but it's about to change. So, you, and now he's got family in town, too. You think maybe he'd take a day off or a week off or something? No, next day, Moses goes back to work. And um, he's spending enormous amounts of time, think about this, from morning till evening, um, hearing the complaints of the people. And remember, this is a group that's pretty good about complaining. And, and that's all he's doing. He's not being able to get anything else done. This is what he does from morning till night. He sits there. Everybody comes. It's got disputes. And they're, they're looking to him to settle every single dispute. This is 2 million plus people. Complainers all. <laughs> so... Um, and Jethro watches what he's doing, you know, because Moses couldn't even take a day off to hang out. I mean, hey, we just got here. We had one meal. That's it. You're gone? Going back to work. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Let me go see. And he hangs out. And he goes, Moses, you're, you're not going to make it. And this was very early in the journey. He's like, yeah, you can't do this. You, you're, you're, it's too much for one. You can't sit there and make all these decisions and do all those things. And, and, um, and yet, you know, Moses' experience has already been that, well, these it's hard to find people that do what they need to do. It will be his constant sort of thing. But, but um, Jethro says, you know, you've got you to gotta organize things a little differently or you'll just never make it. And he says, you know, what you need to do is that you need to organize things so that every 10 people have somebody they can talk to about community problems, civil problems. People are, they've got to figure out how they're supposed to get along. They don't know. They, it's all, they're learning all this stuff about how they're, how they're going to get along now as the people of God. And um, so you put somebody over a group of 10, and if he can't solve the issue, um, then, then that person could be referred to the the ruler over 50. <laughs> who's ever got that group? You know, there'd be five of these. They could all... Maybe this guy can figure it out. If that guy can't figure it out, there's gonna be a guy who's got a group of 100. So 10 of those 10 subgroups, right? And two of the 50 groups, this guy's over them. And then a group of 1,000, There's a guy. there's another guy there. And if that guy couldn't handle it, then it could get kicked up to Moses. But it was going to weed out a whole lot of the problems. Because what was going to happen is this would separate the simple problems from the more complex problems. So, so things that weren't, were really not a big deal or very petty could be handled and dealt with. And, and, you know, if someone didn't get a quick response, they might just go, well, forget it. If they was going to get kicked up and they couldn't get a quick response their way, they might just let it go. And so it was going to weed out a lot of these issues that were taking place. Of course, you know, everybody thinks their problem's the biggest one, but but these people could sort of handle it and push it aside and figure out what needed to go and what didn't, and that was going to make a big difference for, um, for Moses. Now, Jethro's not telling Moses sort of to pass the buck. Um, he's saying, listen, this is what you need to do. Get some people in place, but you need to be the one that teaches the people how they're supposed to live, and he's going to have a whole bunch of that to do in a minute. And... and um, And then, you know, help the people that you're putting in charge, work with those people that you're putting in charge so they can make wise decisions. Uh, And, you know, you're still going to be the representative, the people before God, which means you should be praying for these people and seeking God's direction in in all these situations, which Moses would be doing and would need to do. And um, certainly nobody could take Moses' place, but he could bring some people alongside him so that he wasn't trying to do all these things alone. And with a group that size, that was going to be very, very important. And um, most of you have figured that out when you're you're taking on a task and that it's easier if you have people to help you with that task. Um, Sometimes that process can be difficult because if we're not careful like Moses, Moses might have just thought it was going to be easier to just deal with it than it was to try and teach people how to deal with it. Um, but it's always better if you can show people how to deal with it, and they can begin to shoulder some of that work as well. So you know, if you're ever, if you're, if you're one who um, has the privilege of, of training other sort of um, potential leaders, uh, initially it's a little different because, so, so like for in, 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 let's say an example, so that um, when I would do something, if I were to do something, and I have my way of doing it, And then I realize that a time is coming when I can't keep doing that and doing some of the other things I have to do. I want to bring somebody along to do what I've been doing. But um, the temptation is if they don't do it exactly like you do it, then you think, well, well, I'll just keep doing it or it'd be easier to do it myself. When the reality is you need to sort of work with them and help them to sort of figure out how how you would like it done. But they're going to do it a little differently and there's got to be some room for that. And, and then over time, you know, as things continue to develop, hopefully that person then can show somebody else and you, you begin the process. But it's interesting to watch how uh, you have to be willing at first to invest some extra time in things in order to ultimately bring people alongside you to help you in the process. So that's what's going on in this big whole community that, that God is uh, bringing together. And Moses has to begin to train people to help take care of everybody because he's not going to be able to do it all by himself. The important thing is when you're, when you're sort of delegating responsibilities is to make sure that the people that are going to slip in, uh, into those are, are people that have ability and character. That's what you're looking for. Uh, you know, in, in, it said in verse 21, they had to be able, they had to fear God, people of truth, uh, ha- hating covetousness, you know, so they would be willing to serve and because it was the right thing to do. Um, and I think about that. It's very similar to um, Acts chapter 6 when the disciples have to go out and, and recruit some deacons because it's just too much for them anymore and they're getting stuck on little things. Remember they were, they were getting stuck on the meal time and the division of how food was going to go around instead of being able to teach and do the things they can do. So they had to bring people along and show them how to do it. But those people had to have good reputations. They had to be full of the spirit and wisdom approved by the other folks so when we 're when we 're you know in that process we 're looking to people who can can handle that whole thing and have uh, you know our willingness to to learn and to serve and have uh, a good character and be approved by other people so so you know um, we want to be those kind of people, and we want to be looking for ways to step in and serve and then hopefully we can help with the whole process so that 's what 's happening at this point in time in Exodus eighteen and we're we're getting very close now to um the, the giving of the law and all that means and what's happening. So God is working everything into this group and he's getting them ready to sort of hear what's about to come and how they're going to live as community together. That's good enough for tonight. If you're watching on video, thanks for doing it. We appreciate you. would love to see you. Go to the prayer page if you need prayer on our website and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, we hope to see you soon.